Thank you so much, ladies. Let me invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of Ruth in chapter number one. The book of Ruth, chapter number one. We'd like to begin tonight in Ruth chapter one, verse number one. What a great testimony of the power of our God. And I, I'm thankful that he is just exactly what we need. Nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Jesus is not part of salvation. He is salvation. Heard what a fellow said one day out in the jungles of Africa. He grew up in religion thinking that Jesus was necessary. And he said, I was saved when I realized Jesus isn't just necessary. Jesus is the only way. He's enough. And uh, my, what a great testimony and song. Ruth chapter 1, let me, if I might take a moment tonight and say thank you so much to Brother White and thank you so much Grace Baptist Church. It's just been a real privilege for me as always to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God in this place. And uh, today we had a wonderful time preaching with the, with the students in the college. And I'm so grateful and thankful for your heart, your vision, and your willingness to step out by faith and, and trust the Lord and do mighty works for Him. The old statement said, we have to expect or attempt great things for God while we expect great things from Him. And uh, I'm thankful for your willingness to say, Lord, there's a great need. And this part of the world's in desperate need of New Testament local churches that'll stand on the Word of God and stand for our Savior and preach the precious blood. And I'm thankful for your pastor's burden and yours as well. Uh, just what a joy it is to be at Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for being so gracious to me. And and so kind to me. I just appreciate the wonderful hospitality. And, and if I could just encourage you to keep on abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in Him. You know, I, I love that verse because when we usually quote it or think of it, we kind of start breaking out into it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. But you know, that verse, it doesn't say our labor won't be in vain one day. It says it's not in vain right now. For of course, of course, when we see Jesus is going to be worth it, but it's worth it right now, present tense, tonight for all that the Lord has given us, for all that the Lord has blessed us with. How can we do less than give him our best and live for him? What a great privilege it is to serve the Lord. And I'd encourage you just keep going forward for him. Just keep serving the Lord at Grace Baptist Church. Just keep on giving. Just keep on working the, the, the route. And just keep doing it for Christ because we love him and one day we'll see the one who died for us. And uh, my aren't those marvelous words, and they shall see his face. What a day it will be. Let's be found faithful in the service of the king until that day comes. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so gracious and kind to me. Now, you have your Bible to the book of Ruth in chapter 1, and I think if you spend some time in the book of Ruth, you have to shake your head and say, my, there are so many wonderful stories in the book of Ruth. Of course, it all starts with the story of Elimelech. A father who had a wonderful name, my Lord is my king. But at the end of the day, it wasn't the God of the Bible who led him. It was his wallet that was his king. Of course, there is the story of Orpah. When she stands at the crossroads, it is time to make the decision of her life. And it's not that Orpah made the right choice, but it is not that Orpah made the wrong choice. Standing at the crossroads, she says M&Ms or Skittles. The problem with Orpah is that she makes no choice. There is, of course, the amazing story of Boaz. What a great example he is of the Lord Jesus Christ. A godly man, a virtuous man, a man of convictions, a man with some wonderful standards. Then there is the mighty story of Mr. Ho, such a one. Certainly a somebody in his day, and yet we are reminded that God wanted us to know him as Mr. Nobody. 
What an opportunity he had, and he threw it all away. He loved himself, and he loved his stuff. Then, of course, you can't read the book of Ruth without marveling in that wonderful story of Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess. How many times are we reminded that it was Ruth who stood at the crossroads, who said, the Lord has saved me from the pagan religion of the past, the old ways and the old crowd. I, the old religion and the old standards are not for me. No matter what tomorrow brings, I am living my life for the will of God. And we just marvel in the book of Ruth, how again and again and again the Lord makes it happen. And when you just wouldn't expect it, there is God taking care of Ruth. Of course, God is taking care of Ruth. Every step of the way, a woman willing to step out by faith and live her life for Christ, you can be sure he will never, no, never, no, never leave her nor forsake her. What incredible stories are in the book of Ruth. But when you come to the book of Ruth, there is one story that rises above them all. There is one story that steps out from the rest of them, and it's probably the great reason that Ruth is in the Bible. If you're able tonight, could I invite you to stand with me as we start in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. We call it the book of Ruth, but it really is the story of Naomi. Father in heaven, we ask for your help as we open the Bible tonight. And I pray you would give us ears that are ready to hear and that a heart that understands and May we already decide long before we ever hear the Bible that we will do as your word says, and by faith we will trust your word. I pray for your people tonight. I pray you'd break up the fallow ground, how we desperately need revival from heaven. Then, Lord, I pray for someone in this room, perhaps without Christ. What a great night to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. So we desperately need you to do a work that a preacher cannot do. We commit the preaching to you in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. There are 85 verses in the book of Ruth. And of those 85 verses, 55 of them contain dialogue. More than half of the words that are in the book of Ruth are humans that are speaking one with another. Now, uh, I get statistics. You know, I, I always thought math was the only subject I liked. And and it's awfully easy to twist statistics and twist numbers. And, and uh, you know, we kind of hear them on the news. We kind of hear them in society. And they just go in one ear and out the other. But, my friend, when 55 of 85 verses in, the book of, in a book in the Bible are humans speaking with each other, that is an incredible amount. In fact, to the Jewish people, the Old Testament, Ruth was often acted out in a play form. And, and the curtain would rise and the curtain would fall. And it certainly lends itself to that. It is a tremendous story, tremendous stories of humans and as their struggles as they live for the Lord or they don't. But the amazing thing is that if you start to take a close look at all the conversations and you start to see where the book of Ruth centers, well, it is Boaz and Naomi who do just about all the talking. Oh, there are occasions where Ruth speaks, but when she speaks, she speaks and it's very short. But when she speaks, it is also very powerful. Most of the book of Ruth is the story of Boaz, and it is the story of Naomi. And that's why when we come to Ruth chapter 1 and we read the opening verses, we find that this story begins with Naomi. 
Then when we get to the last verses of the book of Ruth, we discover that Ruth and Boaz are long gone. The story begins with Naomi, and the story ends with Naomi. And the most crucial point in the book of Ruth takes place with Naomi standing in the city of Bethlehem in Ruth chapter 1, verse number 19. Because for all the other encounters and all the other stories, in Ruth chapter 1, as Ruth returns home to Bethlehem, all of a sudden everything else is going to pale in comparison to what is about to happen. You remember the story. Ruth stands at the crossroads and says, My life for the will of God. I'll go where he wants. I'll do what he wants. I'll live where he wants. His people are my people. The God of Israel is my God. And this is for the rest of my life. The Bible tells us Naomi and Ruth come to the city of Bethlehem. And it's almost like a place she has rehearsed. By Naomi, it just seems that she waits for everybody to gather. And as you listen to the words come pouring out of her mouth, come pouring out of her heart, it's almost like Naomi has had a speech that she has rehearsed. And I wonder if she hasn't rehearsed it, not for days, but perhaps for years and years. And finally, when everyone is gathered around her in verse 19, the two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And now with the crowd there in verse 20, she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. The name Naomi means to be sweet and to be pleasant. It's where the story begins with a lady who's sweet, a lady who's pleasant. The name Mara means to be bitter and it means to be angry. There's nothing quite worse than a sweet woman turning bitter. There is nothing quite worse than a happy lady turning angry. And it's the story of verse number 20 where Ruth says, Give me a new name. I am no longer sweet and I am no longer pleasant. But my new name is Mara. But notice the reason. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She said, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. And now for everything else we're going to read in the book of Ruth, all of a sudden it all pales in comparison to this. An angry and bittered woman has returned home to the city of Bethlehem. And in a spiritual way, in a figurative way, it's as if she is shaking her fist at heaven. And she is ready to pour out venom and vitriol. She is about ready to blame God for the condition of her life. Oh, we hear her say, I left this place full. I left this place pleasant. I left this place a happy woman. And I come home a bitter woman, a Mara. I come home an angry woman. And it is all God's fault. It is all God's responsibility. When I left here, it was all fine. But the Lord has afflicted me, and the Lord has punished me. And it's all God's fault that I have returned so ruined and so destroyed. In Ruth chapter 1, verse number 20, Naomi is doing the unthinkable. She is dragging Almighty God into the court of public opinion and standing in front of the crowd in the city of Bethlehem, most of them probably were ladies as the men would probably be in the fields at harvest, with the ladies and whoever else was there surrounding her and looking at her and saying, is that you, Naomi? What happened to you? Suddenly, Naomi has dragged God into the court of public opinion, and she is laying her charges out against God. God 
is unfair. God is bullying me. God is cruel. God is unjust. And God is afflicting or harming me. One by one, it comes from the depths of a soul of an embittered, angry woman. As the crowd has gathered, they're only the witnesses to her words. And now the book of Ruth has turned into Naomi versus Almighty God. She is pointing her finger at heaven and blaming God with being unjust and with God with cruelty. He is, she is blaming God with trying her in the court of opinion. She is blaming God with unjustly dealing with her. Oh, it is plain from her heart that all her problems and all of her trials and all the difficulties of her life are God's fault. She comes home an embittered, angry woman, and she makes God her personal enemy. It really is a stunning moment in Bible history. You very rarely ever see anything even remotely close to this. This human, this woman, is basically shaking her fist up at God and accusing God of some of the worst things that could happen in the Old Testament. One of the great attributes of God that is constantly promoted, that we are constantly reminded of in the Old Testament, is the justice of God. And in a society that had its caste, in a society that wouldn't care for the poor, in a society that didn't care for children, in a society that didn't care for somebody that didn't contribute, oh, so many times God reminded Israel, you are not like everybody else. And now, Naomi is saying that God is cruel. What's going to happen here? Because you see, when we come to the Bible, we make a big mistake when we forget the real theme of the Bible. You see, there are so many wonderful stories in the Bible that we can get caught up in the stories of men and in the stories of women, but we forget there is always a bigger story. The Bible is not the story of Noah. It is not the story of Abraham. It is not the story of Joseph nor the story of David. The Bible is not the story of Noah, not the story of Esther or Ruth. It's not the story of John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul. At the end of the day, the Bible is the story of God. It is his book and it is all about him. And when you come to the word of God, there is always something that rises above every other theme. It rises above every other story. And now in the book of Ruth, this woman, Naomi, who left a happy woman and a contented woman, at least by her words, and has returned an embittered and an angry woman, is pointing her finger at God and blaming God for the miserable condition of her life. The book of Ruth is in the Bible so you and I can see how God is going to respond. See, in Isaiah 42, 8, and there are dozens, uh, probably hundreds of verses like this. The God of Israel said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I not give to another. He said in Psalm 46 and verse number 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. God will not share his honor. God will not share his glory. At the end of the day, at the end of a life, at the end of it all, when the dust is finally settled, the name of God is going to be praised and exalted and honored. And now when somebody like Naomi takes the holy precious name of God and drags it through the level of human anger and human human bitterness, and she levels her charges against God. 
Almighty God is going to deal with those charges. So what's he going to do? I mean, if he chose, he certainly could open the skies of heaven and send fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven right upon Bethlehem. He did that once. If the Lord wanted to, he could literally open up the ground into a great pit and swallow that embittered angry woman into the pit. He's been known to do that. If God wanted to, he could send ten plagues upon her. Ask Mr. Pharaoh. So what is God going to do? What is God going to do when this embittered, angry woman points her finger at heaven and said, the miserable condition of my life is God's fault? And see, as we've been in the book of Ruth this week, we know how ridiculous that is. I mean, all you have to do is just take a walk through the book of Ruth and study the life of Naomi. And, and as you study the Bible, one of the most effective things to do is to keep lists. And, and I mean by that, maybe you're studying a character, you're studying a person, and one by one you just list, just write down what they did. And Because, you know, we read that, and ten verses later we read that, and eight verses later we see that, and, and sometimes we don't get the cumulative effect. But, you know, if you just follow the story of Naomi, I, I mean, it's an incredible, and it's a powerful, and it's a pain painful story. Let me give it to you. Naomi and her husband abandoned the land of Bethlehem, Judah, because of a famine in the land. They are violating the Bible. Naomi and her husband violate the Bible again, and they move into the land of Moab. Naomi refuses to return to Bethlehem upon the death of her husband, so her husband is buried in a pagan land. Naomi willfully obeys the Bible again when she marries her sons to Moabitess girls, a clear violation of the Word of God. Naomi spends 10 more years at least in the land of Moab. Every one of the days of those 10 years, she is living in willful rebellion and disobedience to the Bible. Naomi finally decides to return home, not because she has revival in her heart, not because she has repented. No, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us she returns home because the famine is finally over. Naomi tries to send her daughters-in-law back to the pagan gods and idols of Moab. In what may be in a list of, of incriminating statements and verses, what may be the absolute worst thing she does in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, not once, but twice, she invokes the name of Jehovah in trying to get her daughters to go back to paganism in Moab. She borders on blasphemy. Then, when Ruth refuses to go home to her pagan religion and idols, Naomi exerts great pressure on Ruth to go back. When Ruth stands up and tells her, stop it and stop it right there, well, when she makes one of the greatest statements in Bible history, the Bible tells us that Naomi won't even speak to her. She leaves off speaking. She ignores her because she will not do what Naomi wants her to do. Now she comes to Bethlehem, and Naomi allows bitterness to consume her life. Naomi lifts up her voice and makes wicked charges against God. And that's all in Ruth chapter 1. In Ruth chapter number 2, it goes on, doesn't it? 
The Bible clearly says widows are to glean in the fields, but Naomi, sitting around feeling sorry for herself, sends Ruth out to do a job that God wanted her to do. Ruth is sent out to the fields by Naomi, and she is never warned of the extremely dangerous conditions. Naomi never tells Ruth that there are kinsmen in the city that could take care of them, and there were at least two. Then in Ruth chapter 3, as unpleasant as it might sound, Naomi sends Ruth out to seduce Boaz. And she tells her to behave like a harlot. Now you start adding it all up. And every single one of those things that Naomi has done virtually for three chapters, every time she speaks, everything she does, it violates the word of God. There's a God who said, don't go to Moab. There's a God who says, get your priorities right. There's a God who says, it's a curse to be buried in a pagan land. There's a God who said, don't marry your sons to those Moabitesses. There's a God who said, don't, 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 don't. Every step of the way, she has violated the word of God. She has violated what God has commanded her. And now she has the audacity in root chapter one, after violating the word of God for what, 20 years or so of her life, after willfully disrespecting God, disregarding God, saying my way and not God's way, and now the wheels have come off of her life, and now everything has fallen apart, and this woman who has done it her way and not God's way has the audacity to blame God for the mess that's in her life. That's a stunning thing. I mean, it's kind of like people, society, they tell God, you're not welcome in our business. You're not welcome in our schools. You're not welcome in our government. You're not wanted in our courtrooms. You are not wanted in our living rooms. We don't want you in any society. We don't want you in any part of our culture. And then when a little child gets sick, the same humans say, where was God in all of that? How evil are people? We tell God, we're not going to do your thing. We're going to do this our way, at our time, the way we want to do it. We're the ones who are the standard. And then all of a sudden, there's a little volcano. All of a sudden, there's a little earthquake. All of a sudden, there's something goes wrong. And everybody wants to know, if God is, God is, God is such a God of love, why would God ever allow such suffering? This woman named. Standing here blaming God for the miserable condition of her life when she has willfully disobeyed God for decades, this angry, embittered woman is so much like you. Isn't that how we do it? Nah, we don't need the Lord. We're going to do my family my way. We're going to do the business my way. We're going to get this done my way. And then the wheels come off. And we have violated God's word and abandoned him. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, we're supposed to be able to pray and the Lord's supposed to be able to fix all this. 
I mean, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, and, you know, when the king's horses and king's men couldn't put it back together, we expect the Lord to do it, and we expect him to do it by lunchtime tomorrow, and why we have nothing but a little marionette and want God on the end of the strings, and when we need him, he's going to fix it. When we need him, he's going to do it, and if something falls apart because of what I have done, because of my anger or my bitterness or my plans or my thinking... The last thing we ever do is look in the mirror and watch the guy shaving and say, you did it. <laughs> we want to look up to heaven and blame God for the trouble. We are me. So this becomes the big story in the book of Ruth. What is God going to do? This woman has violated the Bible, abandoned God, rejected him, and when her life comes crumbling apart, her husband is dead, her sons are dead, there's nobody to care for her in her old age, everything has fallen apart, she has the audacity to publicly and boldly blame God for it all. Now it's time for God to respond. What is he going to do? Let me show you. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Ruth chapter 2. And with the words, the angry and bittered words of Naomi resounding off the city walls of Bethlehem, we get to Ruth 2.17, and it says she, that is Ruth now, she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned. All right, so she got the handfuls of purple, I'm sorry, not yet, but she got all the crop that had been left behind for the widows, and then at the end of the day, she got to beat it out to get the grain. And look at this. It was about an ephah of barley. Now, when it comes to weights and measurements, you know, I need somebody who's a lot smarter than me on that kind of stuff because it changed in Bible times. So it depends who you ask when you ask, but an ephah of barley for you and for me would be somewhere between 30 to 50 pounds. I mean, an ephah of barley was an incredible amount. An ephah of barley wasn't enough for one day. When Ruth went out that morning, she went out with a prayer in her lips, Lord, I need somebody to show me grace. I'm not worried about tomorrow or next week. Give us today some daily bread. I'm hungry, Lord, and Naomi is hungry. Lord, would you just give me enough for one day? Enough for one day. Enough for one day. That day, God gave her enough for six days. And the Bible says in verse number 18, she took it up and went unto the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So what does God do? What does God do? This woman says, it's God that made me bitter. It's God that made me angry. It's God who ruined my life. It is God who brought all this judgment. It is God who brought all this death. No blame me. Blame God. It is all God's fault. She has made her baseless and evil charges against God. You know what God does? God gives her five times more than she needs. You could almost say, God looked down at that embittered, angry woman accusing him, and he so loved her that he gave. Notice what else he does. 
Go to chapter 3, verse number 17. In chapter 2, it was the ephah. It was the plenty of it. But in chapter 3, 17, it may well have been even more. These six measures. Hey, we're not even sure what that measure was. Probably huge scoops of grain. These six measures of barley gave he me. And why? Why? Because he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. So how does God respond? This woman says, I went out full and now I have nothing. My life has fallen apart. Everything is crumbled. Everything is turned into a disaster. It's all God's fault. God is the one who did it. She stands there making her charges against God and no, there is no pit. There is no fire from heaven. But what God does is give and then he gives again. By now, you could say he gave exceedingly abundantly. God is good. But that's not even the best of it. Go to Ruth chapter 4, verse number 13. And you may have noticed we've read of these verses a few times this week, and, and there's something that may have just kind of started clinging on the inside, saying, well, something doesn't seem right here. And when you come to the end of the book of Ruth, it's awfully strange because it says Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And this will be the end of Boaz. We won't find him again in the book of Ruth, save for a genealogy. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Well, there's that miracle. It never could have happened and never supposed to happen. And yet an old, old man and, and this wonderful lady, Ruth, well, the Bible tells us God gives them a son. And then Ruth and Boaz exit stage right. The rest of the book of Ruth is all about Naomi. Watch this. Verse number 14. And the woman said unto Naomi, no, 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 that's something stranger. Shouldn't the women be saying to Ruth? No. It says, they said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee, left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee. They're talking to Naomi. A restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. This is all of a sudden a stunning moment in time because the attention's not on Ruth and it's not on Boaz. It all goes to Naomi. This is the same lady in chapter 1 who says, God's abandoned me, and God hates me, and God's mean towards me, and God is cruel to me, and God's going out of his way to afflict me. So we go to Ruth chapter 2, and it's all about God giving. Then in Ruth chapter 3, he gives handfuls of purpose. He gives and gives and gives and gives. But all of that is just a warm-up. When we come to Ruth chapter 4, I got to tell you, it is Christmas morning for Naomi. Look at what the Lord gives her. Look at the present she unwraps. First, the Lord gives her a miracle grandson. I mean, from this old man, probably 110 years old, and the Jewish rabbis tell us, for take it or leave it, that the night Boaz, uh, the night the Obed was conceived, Boaz died. We don't know what happened for sure. The Bible doesn't say, but he's certainly nowhere to be found. I mean, by all accounts, a 110-year-old man having a baby with Ruth, you know, this is kind of like the miracle of Abraham all over again. It would happen again in the New Testament with a fellow named Zechariah. It isn't supposed to be that an old man like that has a child. It's a miracle. God has just given Naomi a miracle grandson. But look at it again. 
Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. Number one, God gives her a miracle grandbaby. But number two, God gave her, not Ruth, God gave her a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer. It's the same word that we read about in Ruth chapter 3, where Boaz sits there with Ruth and says, don't worry, Ruth, because if Mr. Ho such a one won't be your redeemer, I will. The kinsman redeemer. That's what Ho such a one could have been. He said no. And that's what happens when Boaz stands in the city gate and says, I'll be the redeemer. I will buy the lamb that I will buy the lady. I will set her free. I will deliver seed to her family. I will take care of her. Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth. But do you see what that verse is saying? Obed is going to be the redeemer for Naomi. No, in all of the Bible, this is the only person who is not an adult who is called a kinsman. It's the same word for Boaz. This little guy that God gave is not just a miracle grandbaby. I mean, every grandbaby is a miracle in itself. But no, no, it's not just a miracle of an old, old man giving a child. No, no, it's something else. Naomi, that's a special gift from God to you. That is your kinsman redeemer. You watch Ruth get redeemed, but who's going to redeem you? Who's going to buy the lady? Who's going to set her free from the bondage? Who's going to set her free from the affliction and the misery and the bitterness? That little guy wasn't just a grandson. He was a redeemer. It's Christmas morning. She's got a grandson that's a miracle. She's got a kinsman redeemer. How about this? The Bible tells us that she has a little guy who's going to make her family famous. Famous? Well, we have the book of Ruth in the Bible. That's pretty famous. We, of course, have the genealogy to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's pretty famous. And here we are 3,300 years later, and we're still telling the story of that amazing thing that happened in Bethlehem, Judah. Famous, famous. You talk about Christmas morning. Here's a woman just a few chapters earlier thinking, my life is over, and I'm going to be destitute, and I'm going to be a beggar, and my life is so cruel and so vicious and so mean, and it's all God's fault. Now God says, miracle grandbaby, kinsman redeemer, your family name is going to be famous. Christmas. God, she's not done opening presents. How about this? The Bible tells us he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. What an incredible thing that is. And, and you know, we've all known the old codger, you know, the old guy, a mean and kind of grumpy old guy. And, all you got to do is get that mean old grumpy grandpa and put a little one in his arms. And man, the grumpiness is gone and there's a big smile and that, that grandpa, hey, going to get on his hands and knees and play with a little grandbaby. There is something about those little diapers, something about seeing those little teeth come in, something about watching somebody stumble those first steps. Hi, the Bible tells us that little guy was going to be a restorer of life. Everywhere you look in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi is surrounded by death. There is the death of her husband Elimelech. There is the death of her son Malon. There is the death of her son Kilion. And her entire family's about ready to die out. And now we come to the end of the book of Ruth, and literally in her hands is the restorer of life. It's Christmas everywhere you look. 
God gives her a miracle baby. God gives her a kinsman redeemer. God makes her family famous. God restores her life. How about this? God gave her a man that would care for her in her old age. The phrase in the Bible talks about the old age, the old hairs. Hey, hey, lady, you're worried about this all the way. And the selfishness of Naomi, that was the story. And Naomi, more than anything, who's going to take care of me? There's no husband to take care of me. There are no sons to take care of me. After all those years of marriage, there's not even a grandson to take care of me. I'm going to get old. My hair is going to turn gray. Nobody's going to help me. And now she's holding the little grandbaby that's going to take care of grandma when her hair turns gray. God just keeps giving and giving and giving. I don't know how you all do it in Canada, but where I grew up in the U.S., on Christmas, for all the gifts, you always save the best one for last. I don't know if you do that here. I think some people do. Well, it would seem like God saved the best for last, didn't he? Because God said, now am I going to give you somebody that will take care for you in your old age? But the Bible tells us God gave her a Moabitess daughter-in-law. And look, Ruth, it says, was better than seven sons. You know, in Bible times, seven sons, if you had seven sons, you had the perfect family. I, I was just how they dealt with that number. And, and somebody that had seven sons was somebody that was favored of God. And the Bible tells us that this Ruth, and not just this Ruth, but this Ruth of Moabitess, this Ruth of Moabitess was better than seven sons. In other words, what they are saying is they are saying, and kind of get the theme right in the background, the whole book of Ruth, oh, she's that Moabitess. Ah, that's Ruth. Oh, we don't want her around here. And by the time you get to the end of the story, they're kind of saying, you know, Naomi, you have a Moabitess daughter-in-law. You're really lucky. We wish we had one of those better than seven sons. And then when you think God can't be done given, look at verse 16. This is stunning. Ruth is gone, out of the picture. Whatever happens, it says, Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto her. Uh, there's no Boaz here. There's no Ruth here. Now the Bible is being written as if Naomi is the mother, not the grandmother. Uh, I mean, those words are stunning. There's no parallel to that in the Bible. There's nowhere else you're going to find anything remotely close to this. Naomi, it's all about her. She's holding this baby. She's the nurse to it. And in verse 17, the women or neighbors gave it a name. And look at this. The women or neighbors were saying, there's a son born to not Ruth, not Boaz. There's a son born to Naomi. Stunning. I mean, back in that diatribe in Ruth chapter number one, when all that venom came erupting out of her soul, you know, one of the many accusations and charges that she made against God and said, I left this place full. I had a son. I had two sons. I had a husband. And I came back empty. And you know the story, and I know the story, and right about there, we always wish we could insert ourselves in the story and say, excuse me, madam, who is she? And of course, we have the benefit of reading to the end. But that her was Ruth the Moabitess. Now the Bible tells us this woman who went out full, who came back empty because of God. Now the ladies of the city are saying, hmm, it looks like you're not as empty as you thought. Oh, so you see what it's saying? 
Here is a woman dragging God into the courtroom of public opinion. She has willfully, rebelliously transgressed or disobeyed the law of the Bible so many times it's hard to count. She has gone her way and not God's way. And so how is God going to respond to Naaman? He just never stops giving. Because we have been taught to come to the book of Ruth and by the time we're done, we usually wind up singing Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. And of course, of course, that's a great, great song to sing. But you know, in truth, when we come to the book of Ruth and, and after we see her story, the marvelous redemption of God, there really is a bigger story here. Maybe the song we ought to be singing should go like this. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Because as you look at the Naomi story in the Bible, and you have to be reminded, aren't we? That just like Naomi went her way and did her thing and rebelled against God, so you and I, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We're going to do what we want, go where we want. God says, thou shalt not. We say, thank you, but I will. God said, thou shalt, and we say, don't think so. We go our way like rebellious, lost little sheep. We do our own thing. Then when the whole thing falls apart and the wheels come off, we have the audacity to shake our fist at God and blame him for the miserable condition of our lives. And so what does God do to sinners like me? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When I was that sinner, when I was condemned, when I was lost, when I was rebellious, when I was stubborn, and I'm blaming God for the choices of my life. I have gone my own way and done my own thing. I'm a lost little sheep one step away from the fires of hell. And what did God do? Forget Christmas. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to go to a cross. He just gives, and he just gives, and he just gives. And by the time we come to the end of the book of Ruth, we ought to be bowing our head and saying, my God is so gracious. My God is so merciful. My God is so compassionate. On a rebellious sinner like Naomi, look at his grace. But better than that, to a stubborn, rebellious sinner like me, he so loved the world, he gave his son. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. So it was years ago that the songwriter Fanny Crosby had a great need you and me, it certainly wouldn't seem like much. But she needed $5. And of course, this was quite a while ago in the century two, two behind us, and it meant more then than now, but it still wasn't like the end of the world. And Fanny Crosby, who's written so many songs we love to sing, she had a, a great, great testimony. Though she was physically blind, my, she had spiritual eyes that very few have ever had. And Fanny Crosby did what she said she always would do in a moment like that. She had a need and didn't know what to do, so she just bowed her head and said, Lord, I need $5. Would you please take care of this? 
Within moments, there was a knock on the door and a neighbor stood there, or I should say a gentleman she didn't know stood there, handed her $5 and walked away. So Fanny Crosby, of course, thanked the Lord for the gracious gift that he had given. And, and after she had done that, the Lord so blessed her heart, she took pen and paper and, and she wrote a song that we still love to sing. She wrote it like this, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, all oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. You know, if somehow we could bring Ruth back through time and eternity and she could stand here and tell us the story tonight and give us her testimony, uh, I'm quite sure when she comes to the end, she'd have a smile on her face and she'd tell us what it was like in Moab and tell us what it was like at the crossroads and, and tell us what it was like being rejected and lonely and tell us what it was like walking out that morning with great fear and, and tell us what it was like when Boaz spoke kindly to her and she could tell us what it was like when Mr. Ho such a one said, I'll redeem her. He, she could tell us quite the story, couldn't she? but I don't suppose she could wrap it up better than the words of that song. And Ruth, for all her courage and all her conviction and all of her love for God, and Ruth, for all of the wonderful attributes of her life, for that day where she stood at the altar and said, my life for the will of God. I think she could stand here tonight with a big smile and say, this my song through endless ages. When I gave my all to serve him, I discovered that Jesus led me all the way. What a Savior. But here's the other thing. If Brother White could somehow bring Naomi back through time and eternity, and he would invite her to tell us her story tonight, a, a woman would stand up and say, I'm so ashamed. I willfully abandoned the Bible. I thought treasures and wealth and world was more important than the will of God. I just disobeyed God and I thought it would all work out and when everything fell apart and instead of taking responsibility for my decisions and my choices, all I did was just blaspheme and blame God. You know, she would stand here tonight and say, had God judged me and opened up the ground and swallowed me whole, that would have been too good for me. But you know what she could say? For all my rebellion and all my stubbornness and all my selfishness and all my pride, this my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. It's one thing for you and for me to look at the amazing story of Ruth and say, well, we certainly can understand how God would look at a Moabitess woman at the crossroads, giving her life to serve God, how God's going to take care of her and give to her and bless her. None of that would surprise us. But the story of grace, that's the big thing. Because when you and I have abandoned him and rejected him and rebelled against him, there's the loving, wonderful, compassionate, mighty hand of God taking care of Naomi every step of the way. So tonight, somebody sits in this building and says, there goes Naomi and there goes me. There I am. 
What a great night just to fall on our knees before the mighty grace of God and throw all of our bitterness and all of our anger and all of our meanness and all of our stubbornness and all those sins deep down inside that older son had in Luke 15. What a great night to toss all of those things 